Is the church today doing everything it can to provide women a firm foundation of truth in Christ Jesus? Well, it's true there's no shortage of candy-coated Bible studies, potluck fellowships available to ladies. But beyond Sunday morning, are Christian women being properly equipped to stand against the same deceptions that even enticed Eve in the garden? In an attempt to address the need for trustworthy, biblical resources for women, No Compromise Radio is happy to introduce Equipping Eve, a ladies-only radio show that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth in an age that's ripe with deception. My name is Mike Abendroth, and I'm pleased to introduce your host, Aaron Benzinger, a friend of No Compromise Radio and a woman who wants to see other women equipped with a love for and a knowledge of the truth of God's Word. And welcome to Equipping Eve. I am your host, Aaron Benziger, and this is the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's Word. God's infallible, inerrant, unchanging, i.e. immutable, Word. Yeah, God's Word doesn't change because its author, which is God, doesn't change. He says that, doesn't he? I am the same. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And our God does not change. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is just. He is true. And he is immutable. He does not change. And consequently, his word does not change. And that's amazing. You know, so in this world of relativism that we live in today, and that's not just in the secular world, that's happening in the church. In this world where things are just topsy-turvy, where you can hear a pastor preach sound doctrine uh, out of one side of his mouth and out of the other side of his mouth, he's pushing legalism or... or, um, or the opposite, you know, promoting uh, antinomianism. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, oh, everything is so wonky. So what do you do? You go to the sure foundation. What is the sure foundation? Our God, our unchanging God and his character and who he is. And what has he given us is something tangible that we can cling to and that we can learn from and that we can learn about him from and through. That's his word. That's his word. And so it's this, the Bible is this tangible thing. That's why I love having an actual Bible instead of just having it on a device because it's, it's like this little security blanket, isn't it? That this is, this is how we know God. This Bible, this book, this is how we know who he is. This is how we learn more about him. This is how we grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how and where he is revealed to us. And what a good God that he would give this to us. That he would give his children black and white words that we can go to and we can cling to and we can trust in because they are true. And they are true because they come from the one who is truth. I mean, that's just, it's almost unfathomable, except, like I say, we have something tangible. I'm holding a Bible in my hands right now, passed down through the centuries. It's come down to us on a river of blood. It's amazing. What a good and gracious God we serve. It's just amazing. So... At Equipping Eve, what what I strive to do through this podcast, what is my prayer, is that you are taken back to the Word, ladies, that we are going back to Jesus Christ and we are going back to His Word because that's where our foundation is. If we try to, to worry about and, and, and stand on anything else, we're just going to fall over. We need that sure foundation. So that's what Equipping Eve is about. If you haven't listened before, welcome. 
and that's what we try to do here. And um, if you want to find out a little bit more about the ministry, you can head on over to equippingeve.com or .org. They both get you there. They still both get you there. So I like to remind folks, you can pick your address, equippingeve.com or .org. gets you to the same website. And there's lots of information there. You can learn a little bit more about me, um, about producer Charlie, and um, just about this ministry, um, what uh, doctrines we affirm here at Equipping Eve. Uh, there are articles. You can find um, the whole archive of podcasts there, links to other helpful ministries and blogs and podcasts or churches or um, although those are few and far between churches that I would recommend. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a topic for another day. We'll, we'll get back to that. Maybe probably not. That could get me in trouble. So anyway, but there, there are some other resources there that you can visit. Um, and you know, hopefully you'll find those helpful and edifying and, um, there's a Bible study there, all kinds of things. And if there's anything, ladies, that you'd like to see added to the website um, or something that you'd like discussed on the show, send me your ideas, send me your questions, send me your challenges, whatever. Um, you know, if you want me to uh, put, you know, sparkles and glitter on the website, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, <laughs> send me your ideas, send me things that you're looking for. Because um, by God's grace, Equipping Eve is here to serve you and to build up the body. And um, and so I can't do that if it's just all coming out of me. So I need your ideas. I need to know what's going on out there in your world. What are some things that you are encountering um, in in your little circle, you know, of friends and, and people at church or people at school or whoever, whomever you are exposed to, you know, we all run in different circles, whether they're online circles or real people circles. Um, you know, I just found out about something today uh, that is apparently a thing in some churches, and I'm not going to say what it is because we'll go off on a tangent that I'm not prepared to go off on. Um, but I've never even heard of this person, but apparently it's, it's a problem. You know, the teachings of this person are a problem. And, uh, you know, that's just because, uh, I don't run in those circles, you know? Um, and so that's, that's why I need you. Let me know what are some things that you would like to hear discussed. So, okay. That's all the housekeeping that took way too long. So it is a beautifully sunny day here where I am. It's um, kind of mid to late January, depending on your view. Of, I guess it's late January. And uh, you're probably hearing this in February. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but it's finally sunny where I am. That's exciting. Haven't seen the sun in over a week. Uh, and there's a beautiful blanket of very powdery snow outside but it's really cold. Um, so I thought, you know, it's a good day to record a show. Let's just do that. And then I think I'm going to hunker down with a blanket, a cup of tea and a book. But for now we'll do this. The sun is energizing me. So let's do this because I wanted to go back ladies to something that we started oh, back last year and this is 2019. So we started it back in 2018. Um, we had a show entitled Promises of God, God's Promised Seed. 
So that was the title of that episode. And, and in that episode, we talked about, obviously, God's promised seed, Jesus Christ. So we kind of traced through the uh, Bible, really, and, and saw how the seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15, how that is the Lord Jesus Christ and how that promise was traced throughout history and and how um, that came to culmination in his incarnation, etc., etc. Um but what I'm trying to get at here is what when I uh, recorded that episode, I kind of wanted to make this a theme that we would come back to over and over again. And that theme is the promises of God. So, you know, it seemed to me, why not start with the greatest promise? It's not going to be one of those save the best for last. I mean, come on, God's promised seat. That's right there in Genesis, right? God has given us so many promises, has he not? And in fact, doesn't Peter say that just right out front in his um, second epistle? Second Peter 1 reads, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, that to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Magnificent and precious promises. ESV says, that was the NASB I was reading, the ESV says they are precious and very great promises. I mean, they're pretty awesome promises, right? And, and scripture is just filled with these promises of God. So I wanted to have a series that we could come back to from time to time on the promises of God. And so I was thinking about that uh, this weekend and thought, okay, what, you know, we need to come back to that. I really wanted to bring you ladies back to that. Um, but what promise do you go to next? I mean, pick one, right? I mean, we're never going to exhaust these. So I decided that we would go next to Christ's promised grip. Okay. So maybe, you know, where I'm going with this. So turn ladies to John 10, Turn with me to John 10, and we're going to take a look at this promise of God and this series. Like I said, I think it's going to pop up randomly here and there. Um, I, you know, I don't want to do just a one right after the other episode of this. I want this to be something that we can kind of ponder all the promises of God, and and you know maybe you can kind of keep this in mind even just in your daily Bible reading. You know what promises of God do I see here? Um, make sure that you're applying scripture and interpreting scripture appropriately and you aren't applying, say, a promise made to Israel to you. But I think you know what I mean. So John 10, ladies, and um, to ensure that we have full context, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. So uh, if that annoys you, I'm sorry. You can fast forward, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole chapter of John 10, and I'm actually reading today from the ESV. So um, I often use the NASB. Today I'm using ESV. No particular reason. That's just what I'm using today. So, but just so you are aware. So John 10, ladies, and remember Jesus is speaking here. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And if you remember, ladies, I'll just interject here. Back in chapter 10, Jesus had healed a blind man. So that's where this is coming from. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. To stone him, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. 
He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained, and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. I love this chapter. I think this might actually be one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. Colossians 1 is a, it might be tied. So I was thinking the other day that this um, might be my favorite chapter. And then um, on Twitter, my friend Debbie Lynn Kaspert, if you don't follow Debbie Lynn, you should on Twitter or Facebook. Um, you should visit her blog, The Outspoken Tulip. So shout out to Debbie Lynn. Um, and she said something about Colossians 1 being her favorite chapter. And I thought, oh yeah, I love Colossians 1. So I don't know. I think Colossians 1 and John 10 are tied. But uh, this this chapter is just, oh, I just, I love it. There's so much here. There's so much here. There's so much teaching here from our Savior. And there's, there, I'm speechless. Okay. <laughs> I just, I truly love John 10. And I think part of why I love it so much is this is where Christ calls himself the good shepherd. And that is probably my favorite picture of him. We think of the names of Christ or titles or identities of Christ. And there's so many throughout scripture. And we think of the I am statements. And I really think that um, Christ as the good shepherd is my favorite. And so um, that's actually not what we're talking about today. Um, but we might come back to that. I don't know if we've done a show on the good shepherd before. But we should. So even if we have done one, we might do another. I don't remember doing it. If you remember it, you should let me know. Okay. Anyway, so John 10 is this amazing chapter. And I wanted us to get, I just wanted us to hear all of this that Jesus was saying and to really get a picture of what's happening here in this chapter. And of course, to get true context, we have to go you know, read the whole book of John, which I won't do because... Who's going to listen to that? Go read it on your own. That would be magnificent. But what I actually want us to focus on today is verses 28 and 29, where Jesus says, I give them eternal life, the, the, his sheep. He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I, I love that. I absolutely love that. So, again, context. That's why we read the whole chapter. That's why I paused there um, in the middle of the chapter so we could kind of take a look back at chapter 9 and see what's happening. And like I said, if, if you look back, you see that geez, that's the story of where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. And so that happened in chapter 9, which is why some people were saying, well, he can't be demon-oppressed. He's healing blind men. Who does that? And so Jesus is talking to the same people that he was talking to in chapter 9. In chapter 10, this is the same audience. And what was he talking about as he kind of wrapped up chapter 9, if you will? He's talking about false shepherds. In fact, um, MacArthur says of these sections, he says, quote, Israel was led by false shepherds who drew them astray from the true knowledge and kingdom of the Messiah. And if you take a look, just uh, bounce back a couple verses into the end of chapter 9, you see Jesus said for judgment, verse 39, 
I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so that is, that's the context here. That's his audience. That's who he's speaking to immediately there in the text. So then Jesus goes into his teaching in our chapter 10 on the fact that he is the good shepherd. And he's using a bit of allegory here, isn't he? He's using word pictures. It's a great way for us to understand the text. It's a great way for us to remember truth, to get these pictures. And so he is the good shepherd and the sheep know his voice, just like a flock will know the voice of their shepherd and they won't follow another because they know the voice of their shepherd. And Jesus says that a few times, the sheep hear his voice. He says it later in the chapter in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. And I think one of the most common twists of scripture, I think in all of scripture, comes out of chapter 10 and this statement by Jesus that my sheep hear my voice. And, and you know, he says it a couple of times, but very specifically there in verse 27. And um, I just want to make something really clear here that Jesus is not talking about a literal voice. He's not saying that those whom he calls will hear his literal voice coming from heaven and then you get up and follow Jesus. That's not how this works. So we just want to shut that nonsense down right now. And you're saying, well, how do you know this, Aaron? How do you know this is true? Well, let's take a look at the text my sheep hear my voice. And so you want to say that that means that you will hear a literal voice. In that case, I need to ask you, are you a sheep? I mean, like, not like, oh yeah, we're as dumb as sheep. You know, we need someone to lead us around. No, no, no. I mean, like, do you have, are you covered in wool and you have the little tail and you eat grass and you go bat instead of actually talking? Are you a sheep? Because if the answer is no, then here's your problem. You can't have a literal voice in one half of the phrase, but have a figurative sheep in the first half of the phrase. You can't, that's not how this works. And what I actually like to point out to folks when they bring this up from John 10 is I like to take them back to verse 6 where Jesus has already talked about the sheep hearing his voice, you know, because he's, he's talking about the shepherd and the sheep hears his voice. He calls us sheep by name. And verse six says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. So it's kind of really clear that that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage. Um, and so we, we really can't ignore that just because we want um, a warm, fuzzy, literal voice out of heaven. If you want to hear Jesus speak to you, read your Bible. He's right there. We just read it. We read so many of Christ's words right here in John 10. What more do you want? It's not even just something that you hear and then you kind of forget because you didn't have a pen to write it down. No, no, it's like it, it's, in, it's in black and white right in front of you on a piece of paper or on an iPad or whatever. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like better. And, um, and so, you know, we're not this, we're not looking for a literal 
voice here. This, this is a word picture. And if you think about it um, earlier in this chapter, Jesus also calls himself a door. I am the door. Well, does anyone actually believe that Jesus is a door with hinges and a doorknob? No. No, right? It's a word picture. Okay, so that's a little bit of a digression, but it comes up in this passage, and so I wanted to just knock that flat right here. You know, that is the position at Equipping Eve, um, and, so, and, and that is why, because it's nonsensical from the text itself to believe that this would be advocating for a literal voice from heaven. So, all right, tangent aside, let's go back. So Jesus is saying here that those whom he has called will be brought to him. So those whom he calls them, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So those whom he has called will come to him. John Calvin says of um, verse 27, he says, For God effectually calls all whom he has elected so that the sheep of Christ are proved by their faith. And indeed, the reason why the name of sheep is applied to believers is that they surrender themselves to God to be governed by the hand of the chief shepherd and laying aside the fierceness of their nature become mild and teachable. And J.C. Ryle says of the words, they follow me. This means that his people like sheep obey, trust and walk in the steps of their divine master they follow him in holy obedience to his commandments. They follow him in striving to copy his example. And they follow him in trusting implicitly his providential leadings, going where he would have them go and taking cheerfully all he appoints for them. So that's what we're looking at here. This is what Jesus is talking about. His children, those whom he has called, those whom he has saved. Now, again, I'm, I'm hearing out there in the distance, I'm hearing a protest. I'm hearing this is anti-evangelism because now you're, you're now you're talking about people who are being called. And why are we even, you know, out there sharing the gospel because God's Jesus is just going to call his own blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to be going on tangents, but I think it's important that we do that so that we kind of so that we are sure that we can focus on the point here, okay? So Romans 8 is very clear in the monergistic work of God in salvation, okay? So I'm just going to take a really another quick little digression here. In Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, Paul writes, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that verse, verse 30 there of Romans 8, is really um, germane to the rest of this discussion and, and um, how we are looking at being in Christ's grip. And I know we haven't actually gotten there yet, but we will. And um, the point is that those whom he has predestined, those whom he has foreknown, are those whom he has called, and then he justifies them and he glorifies them. Right? I mean, that's really important that Jesus is doing this work. And that we know it will be done. 
to the fullest. And this is not anti-evangelism because Romans 10, just a couple of chapters later, would knock that out of the park, right? How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So again, that's not, let's not let that be a stumbling block, ladies. So those whom God calls, he saves, and those whom he saves, he keeps. John MacArthur has said that these verses in John, verses 28 and 29, let's read them again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. John MacArthur has said that these verses in John, that this might be the strongest passage in all of scripture for the absolute eternal security of every true Christian. And ladies, that promise is straight from the lips of Jesus. So let's look back. Let's go back to, um, well, I'm going to go back to um, this commentary by John Calvin. In verse 28, they shall never perish. He says, it is an inestimable, inestimable fruit of faith that Christ bids us be convinced of our security when we are brought by faith into his fold. But we must also observe on what foundation the certainty rests. It is because he will be a faithful guardian of our salvation, for he testifies that our salvation is in his hand. And if this were not enough, he says that they will be safely guarded by the power of his Father. This is a remarkable passage by which we are taught that the salvation of all the elect is not less certain than the power of God is invincible. Besides, Christ did not intend to throw this word foolishly into the air, but to give a promise which should remain deeply axed in their minds. And therefore, we infer that the statement of Christ is intended to show that the elect are absolutely certain of their salvation. We are surrounded indeed by powerful adversaries, and so great is our weakness that we are every moment in imminent danger of death. But as he who keeps what we have committed to him is greater or more powerful than all, we have no reason to tremble as if our life were in danger. Calvin goes on and talks about the papists, um, but this would apply to many, even in evangelicalism, who rely on free will, um, that they will get themselves saved, and then they must keep themselves saved. Calvin says, in short, our salvation is certain because it is in the hand of God, for our faith is weak and we are too prone to waver, but God, who has taken us under his protection, is sufficiently powerful to scatter, with his breath alone, all the forces of our adversaries. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? We are under the protection of the hand of God. Our faith, our salvation is certain because it is in God's hand. It is in Christ's hand. When God saves, he does so effectually and eternally. Salvation is all of Christ from start to finish, ladies. And that is what I think is really important here to remember. I think of Philippians 1 verse 6, where Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is all of Christ. Now, do we play an active role in our sanctification? Yes. In fact, we've 
talked about that, but we do so because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We cannot, on our own, walk blamelessly. And like I said, we've talked about that before. If you head over to equippingeve.com, if you type in sanctification, you'll find um, a few articles and a couple of episodes that speak to this. Um, this issue of sanctification. What is sanctification? Who is doing the sanctifying? How does that work? And so I encourage you, if that's something that you'd like to learn more about, to go ahead and take a look and, and a listen to those episodes. But what I want us to remember and to rest in today, ladies, is that if Christ has saved you, he will keep you. He didn't save you. He didn't save me on the basis of our works. So why would the maintenance of our salvation be based on our works? You know, sometimes the doctrine of eternal security is called once saved, always saved. I know before I was actually saved, when I was a false convert, I, I would have ascribed to that, you know, OSAS, once saved, always saved type of mindset. And I don't care for that phraseology um, because I think it sounds flippant. And so this doesn't mean that we get saved and... Um, you know, continue a life of sin, does it? No, of course not. You know, if I'm not mistaken, Paul addressed that also in Romans in chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know, when we are saved, we are transformed. Our minds and our hearts and our desires and our wills, we are transformed and we're not made perfect right away. Sanctification is a progressive Thing. But when God saves you, when God saved me, he transforms us at that moment of salvation. New minds, new hearts. We lay aside the old man or the old woman because we have a whole new wardrobe in Christ. But what a comfort to know that we Ladies, as daughters of the king, this is why I love these verses. What a comfort to know that we are cupped safely in his hand. You think about it, uh, if you have young children, even as infants, they're too big to hold entirely in one hand. But think about it. I think of, of uh, when I was a little girl and or I think of when I see parents with their young children and they're holding on to their mommy's hand or their daddy's hand. And especially if they're holding on to their daddy's hand and and that little tiny hand is just engulfed in the safe hand of their father. Ladies, we are just engulfed in the safe hands of our Savior and of our Father. And when I think about these verses in John 10, ladies, it brings fresh insight into passages like Romans 8, 38. I know I've kind of been bouncing around Romans a little bit here. Where Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Savior's hand is sovereign. His grip is tighter than sins or Satan's. Indeed, he is the only one who can free us of their clutches, isn't he? So no matter, ladies, what life is bringing you today, no matter what life is flinging at me today, and 
It's been an interesting 2019 so far. And we're only a couple weeks in. But no matter what those circumstances are, ladies, sisters, I hope that you'll rest easy. And I am preaching to myself. I hope you understand that because when I bring things to you, it's hitting home for me. But I pray that we can rest a little easier remembering that we are secure in the hand of our Savior. I hope that brings you comfort and joy this day, ladies. Okay, I think we're out of time. I think I talked too long. So, um, But ladies, I hope that was an encouragement to you today. And until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Is the church today doing everything it can to provide women a firm foundation of truth in Christ Jesus? Well, it's true there's no shortage of candy-coated Bible studies, potluck fellowships available to ladies. But beyond Sunday morning, are Christian women being properly equipped to stand against the same deceptions that even enticed Eve in the garden? In an attempt to address the need for trustworthy, biblical resources for women, No Compromise Radio is happy to introduce Equipping Eve, a ladies-only radio show that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth in an age that's ripe with deception. My name is Mike Abendroth, and I'm pleased to introduce your host, Aaron Benzinger, a friend of No Compromise Radio and a woman who wants to see other women equipped with a love for and a knowledge of the truth of God's Word. 